today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Turns out there's a lot of industries that actually, you know, are still cash-based and don't accept credit cards. So while, you know, the, the, the squares of the world and the stripes of the world, which are both fantastic companies, have been solving what I'll call like the last mile of payment, sort of everyday uh, transactions that you and I might spend, you know, um, at the local cafe or, or the online equivalent, et cetera. The, the industry that, that I'll deem sort of large bill payments, invoices, et cetera, has remained cash-based, you know, for, for decades and, and remains very much cash-based today. When I say cash, I mean, you know, wire and ACH and, and in some cases, even especially in the U.S., um, always surprises people, but there's billions checks. of checks, right? Yeah. Um, and so because checks. of that, yeah, they are, they stick around for a reason. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. Elliot Buchanan dreamed up the idea of plastic seven years ago as an undergrad. A Canadian in the U.S., he got frustrated by how hard it was to transact paying for his tuition. His firm, Plastic, enables individuals and businesses to pay for virtually any expense with an existing credit card, even if a merchant doesn't take cards. Since then, the firm has serviced over 1 million customers and businesses and processed over $2 billion as of last year. Buchanan joins us today on the Tearsheet Podcast. He has big ideas for the firm, and we talk about the pain points of making a large transaction and how Plastic addresses them. We talk about other products in his pipeline and where the firm is headed in the future. Elliot Buchanan is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Tearsheet's Embedded Conference is an event that brings together financial institutions, technology players, and other firms from industries outside of finance adopting financial services. It isn't about banks versus non-banks. The Embedded Conference is about collaboration and tapping into the best each player in the ecosystem can offer. The nature of the financial institution is changing. Embedded finance turns every app, software, retailer, and business into a bank, and people are responding in kind. With the uptake of embedded finance, consumers are showing that they want a bank with the brands they love. We've got a star-studded lineup of senior leaders from Goldman Sachs, Marketa, Galileo, Q2, and so many more presenting on the future of embedded finance. To learn more and register, go to tearsheet.co and click on events in the top navigation. Elliot Buchanan, uh, co-founder and CEO of a company called Plastic. Plastic was started, oh wow, uh, almost feels like almost seven years ago now. Um, and uh, started it right when, I, yes, it feels like startup seven years for startup years. So I um, uh, started when I was actually a student. Um, uh, my last year as a student at um, um, at Harvard as an undergrad. And what happened was I actually I came just briefly at least I came to the U.S. Uh, from Canada for school. And um, one of the problems I ran into, ran into Zach was I, I had no credit score, you know, which actually is apparently a pretty common problem, which is you know uh, an important thing in the country. So one way mm -hmm. to establish a credit score is to take out basically what's called a secured credit card, like a cash collateralized credit card. Um, and so this is exactly what I did: is I took out a small credit line um, from the basically the only bank that would let me um, uh, take out a line, and then I basically was going to use that card responsibly and, and pay it off. And that was my goal to establish a credit score being new to the US. Um, however, that's when I ran into the challenge that was a genesis for plastic, which is basically, I went to pay a small piece of my tuition payment, which was an important payment uh, um, at the time in my life. And I was told that I couldn't couldn't use my credit card to pay that. So that was just sort of the moment where it just felt disempowering and convenient pick your word, et cetera. And that sort of set off the whole uh, genesis of you know questioning, like, why can't I use my credit card to pay for important things, you know, like that use case that I mentioned, which was really why or how and when the company started. And obviously it's evolved um, quite dramatically since then. Amazing. And, and so most people get frustrated by a problem, you know, they just 
they move on. You decided to create a company that is is taking you know straight aim at at fixing this problem. Um, why why was that decision? You were a student at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, I think honestly, I've kind of always been wired that way. And that, mm-hmm. that said, I'd also I'd also say like people assume they're like, oh wow, like so you just decided to start a company. I would say no, not quite. I mean, I can't claim that it was a a, a company right away or it scaled right away. It's just that I've always been intellectually curious, so it seemed mm-hmm. reasonable to me that well, what what harm would it be to look at why this was the case? And then as you dig in, then you start to get more excited about actually solving it and this and that. But there's important, there's about 500 plus or minus steps between um, deciding to think more about the problem and there actually being a viable uh, a functional company. Yeah, totally. So um, I don't want to get into those 500 steps, but I maybe we can t- spend a little bit more time talking about the core problem as you see it. Yeah, sure. So um, let's break it down to a couple of components. I mean, the, the sort of, as I mentioned, the, the core the core use case of why the company started was, you know, me not being able to pay my tuition. But mm-hmm. if you fast forward to today, right, really plastic focuses on empowering you. Well, let me describe you. Any customer, a lot of small businesses are focused, but any consumer, any small business to pay for all of their large payments um, using their existing credit card. So while tuition might be the genesis story, and therefore I think it's an important one to tell, today, most of the payment, you know, there's, there's hundreds of categories that we play in and the common a link between them, hence your question, like what's the actual problem is that turns out there's a lot of industries that actually, you know, are still cash based and don't accept credit cards. So while, you know, the, the, the squares of the world and the stripes of the world, which are both fantastic companies have been solving what I'll call like the last mile of payment, sort of everyday uh, transactions that you and I might spend, you know, um, at the local cafe or, or the online equivalent, et cetera. The, the industry that, that I'll deem sort of large bill payments, invoices, et cetera, has remained cash-based, you know, for for decades, and and mm-hmm. remains very much cash-based today. When I say cash, I mean, you know, wire and ACH, and, and in some cases, even especially in the U.S., um, always surprises people. But there's billions checks. of checks, right? Yeah. Um, and so Pesky because checks. of that, yeah, they are they stick around for a reason. But because of that, <laughs> we we decide to innovate sort of on those those large payments where card is not accepted. And the way we simply do that is basically we have a, a solution, a platform that allows you to go on and you know essentially add your existing credit cards you already have. So we don't issue you new credit. Our thesis is there's plenty of credit already out there. You add your credit card, you add whatever bills you wanna pay, and then we charge your credit card for, for, that, for that set of transactions. And then we, we, send, we, we basically send money, if you will, to the, whoever you're trying to pay in, in whatever format they already accept. So there's no behavior change on the recipient's end. Interesting. And so uh, how did you go about, I'm just still, uh, you know, sort of the formative stage, like how did you go about getting new customers early on in the, in the company? Well, yeah. So important, well, maybe a few lessons to myself as an entrepreneur early on is like when you first are starting a company and I had no, never had a job. So, so you have no track record really. So your credibility is pretty thin. And so it's kind of like chicken versus egg versus like, how do you get your first customer? Because then you can get more, et cetera. But what I relied on was you know, whatever, what little social capital, if you will, that I had um, within my own network um, is what I used to get my first few customers. So I went after I, after the problem existed for me, which was, I couldn't pay my part of my Harvard tuition. Mm-hmm. I just said, okay, is, is university tuition the right place to start? And actually right off the, right out of the gate decided that universities were not quite the right targets because they were just a little bit too large to try and maybe get them for my first customers. So mm-hmm. instead I went to uh, private schools because smaller networks, et cetera, and what I did is I actually went to a couple of family friends who were parents um, of, of, of who had kids at 
um, a couple small private schools and who are at least willing to introduce me to um, the CFO of those private schools. And that was an easier conversation than say, trying to get to the CFO of Harvard or a big university. So you've started with a couple of small private schools and you know, a few leads to the next ones. And then all of a sudden you start, then what happened, probably an important thing I'll briefly mention, which is that once we got the first few schools on board, when we had parents paying for tuition payments, then what happened was those same parents would call me because I was the customer service line at the time. <laughs> um, and they'd say, hey, I uh, made this tuition payment. Um, can I also, I have a tax payment coming up. Can I pay that? Or I have a payment for X or Y. So that was really the moment, Zach, where I realized, I realized frankly, oh, it's not really about tuition. It's about any and all household bill pay. And obviously today, now we focus on more B2B, but it's the same concept. So really started in one vertical. Now we do, like I said, there's probably almost a hundred that we, we, we play in as a result of that, that Genesis. Do you think it's fair to say there's some type of virality, at least in, well, I guess it's not moving from user to user per se, but it's, it's once a user makes a certain payment to one merchant, call it that, that, that uses you guys, like they're likely to use it at another merchant that, that doesn't accept credit cards or do you see that yeah. type of behavior? Yeah, I think two, we see that and one other. So we see what you just mentioned where, you know, a customer will come in and will we'll acquire him or her in a particular vertical or use case. And then by doing so, we can get that same person in most cases to pay, you know, an additional, at least typically two or three other core um, uh, invoices or transactions. And importantly, that's, that's the, sort of the uh, virality piece one, then there's sort of like a network uh, or do you can call it variety piece two, which is um, every merchant that you are then paying is really a lead for us as well, because then mm. we go to that merchant and say, hey, did you know your customer so-and-so has already paid you by plastic? So by definition, you're already kind of part of the network. Would you like to um, um, mention this payment option to the rest of your customers? And then the chain kind of continues from there. So, so let's talk a little bit about the merchant side, right? So you mentioned schools, yeah. um, talk university level, cause they're big payments, private schools. Um, why, why aren't they uh, in 2020, why aren't they able to accept credit cards? Why don't they, what are some of the hurdles for them? Yeah. Um, maybe give us a little insight into, into those guys, the business. Yeah. Side. Yeah. I mean, no, great, great question. There's a few reasons, but really if we just get down to brass tacks, there's kind of like one core reason that hasn't changed for a while, which is all of these. So, I'll contrast it to the other sort of payment types I mentioned, um, which is everyday spend when you and I are shop, whatever, e-commerce or restaurants or retail. Um, you know, we, we, if there's any friction in how you and I pay, then we, we very well might and often can and will choose to do business el elsewhere because, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the merchant's trying to, you know, acquire us in any means possible. And that's why typically merchants will accept any types of payments, whatever gets a, the transaction done. However, in industries where there's a captive audience, which are all these bill point pay sort of industries, there's no financial incentive for the merchant to accept a form of payment that's dramatically more expensive than other forms of payment. And that's exacerbated by the fact that it so happens that these captive audience industries, like all these bill payment ones we've talking about, also are very large transactions. So all of a sudden, you, you instead of having a $50 payment that the merchant knows you know, they may not get if they don't accept credit card, you have a $50,000 payment that the merchant very well knows you and I have to pay, we've agreed to pay, or we're not gonna, no, we're not gonna drop out of a university we love because they don't take Amex, it's never happened. You're not gonna not pay taxes because they don't take Visa because it's illegal not to, right? So mm -hmm. captive audience markets, that whole economic chain where the merchants try is supposed to sign up to pay three, 4% of credit card, it just doesn't make sense. And so with that observation and that lens, we realized, oh, 
Well, in fact, most of the benefit, especially in these large transactions, the benefits being the rewards points or cash back or miles on your card, the 45 day float, which by the way, is probably the main reason why people use us because as I mentioned, 90% ish of our, our business today is small businesses and they, they just love short-term cash flow, but all mm -hmm. the benefits that you already get from your, your credit card, um, you know, we, we realized that, or at least the thesis at the time, Zach, was we believe that the payer, so the person paying, not the merchant, the payer should be willing to pay something for that, the, the, those benefits. And therefore we could sort of reverse, if you will, who pays for what in that, in that, in that chain and, and therefore allow these, these transactions to occur. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, because in some way you displace the traditional model, which is getting the merchant to pay interchange fees and whatever, and put that on the buyer. Um, is that, do you, is that, does that only work for, for these large transactions where you talk about all the benefits? Like, could you, it doesn't make, that doesn't sound like it would make sense to me that a consumer would pay that in sort of everyday transactions. It's a good question. So this is an interesting, we could spend a few hours philosophically on this debate perhaps because but but um i'd say that would the consumer be willing to do that my guess is if you ask them they'd say no but if somehow it was the norm they all would do it and so that that really comes down to i think pre-existing behavior and therefore behavior change and by that i mean if all of a sudden if every retailer or let's call it not, let's do it, if 80 90 percent of the retailers that that you and i shop at again in person or uh, uh, online, if all of a sudden a majority to 80% or so oh, quote unquote overnight or rapidly just said, you know what, here's why we need to pass these feeds on. We'll still love you. You should use us. I bet you that, that most people would not change our shopping behavior because we still would want to buy the clothes we do or the, but because, because there's already, there's so much existing um, uh, behavior built in there. Um, I don't see that changing and there. And, and for that reason and various others, it's just not really our product focus, but philosophically and because it's not our product focus, I, we don't think that's really where the value should be focused, should be um, uh, uh, garnered. And again, in our, in our space, it's really, you know, there's, you know, as much as like everyday spend is not like e-commerce industry in the U S is like, like two, three trillion or something a year, maybe mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but around there, but like B2B, B2B bill payment is like 19 trillion. So there's plenty of space to sort of open up. Interesting. Um, and, and the way plastic makes money, you take it, you take that fee. Yeah, we charge you, if you will, let's say you're the buyer and our mm -hmm. observation was, like I said, some, not everyone's going to pay a fee, but it turns out in particular, so consume, our, our initial customer set, hence my founding use case of tuition was consumers. Turns out consumers were going to pay for convenience, rewards, security, et cetera. Um, but, but as we then saw new users, um, a new user type about four years ago started using us, which was small, medium businesses. And so 90% of our customer base is now you know, we still have a nice consumer business, but most of our businesses SMBs, um, and it turns out they're willing to pay, gladly willing to pay a fee because they view us as the, you know, easiest, um, uh, cheapest form of sort of short-term working capital. That forty-five days you kind of get on your credit card before you actually pay real interest. Interesting. So, so Elliot, can you talk about how the product has evolved over these seven years? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I sort of touched on one theme, which is. You know, we launched as, I think there's a few iterations. We launched as a consumer product focused on essentially one vertical, allowing you to pay tuition by card. That was kind of the core, the founding, you know, company. Mm -hmm. And then that quickly, as I mentioned, evolved into sort of the second major version of the product, which was, uh, you know, uh, basically pay any household bill, like all your consumer bills, instead of pay one bill, pay, every, pay everything on this app. And then I'd say the third major iteration of the product was, oh, actually, this is not just really a consumer bill pay uh, uh, you know, app for using your credit card. 
but it's actually really uh, an SMB platform to run all your accounts payable. And so the third iteration of Plastic, which has been the core focus now for a few years, um, has been sort of uh, opening up all accounts payable uh, for SMBs who want to use their credit card to, to, to run that accounts payable, where again, similar to my founding use case at Harvard, like a lot of those vendors that SMBs pay also don't accept, accept card. And then sort of the newest iteration of, uh, and there's micro iterations within this, but like the, mm -hmm. what, for our sake of our time, the newest iteration that's worth mentioning is um, we call it sort of plastic accept, which is we had an observation that, you know, um, uh, similar to, so we have, we have tens of thousands of SMBs that use us to run their, their payables, but turns out that a lot of those customers also, not surprisingly, um, um, have uh, receivables they need to accept. And so hence the name, um, a lot of them though, similar uh, to the vendors we already pay, the, 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 for the payments they receive, they, actually, they, they don't take credit card or don't often take it, or they take it up to a certain capped amount. And so we wanted to um, you know, bring the other half of the equation, the other half of our network into the same sort of experience. So therefore, as a customer on our platform, Zach, you could you know, run all your payables using your credit card, but also send out invoices and you know, get, bring in the other half of your, your, your financial um, uh, health, if you will, into the product. Interesting. So you theoretically could be touching a small business both on their spend and on the revenue side. You got it. Wow. Okay. So, so given that, um, that direction, like what, 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 do, what are you thinking about the future? Like that's, that's pretty powerful place to sit. Yeah. I mean, there's a few iterations, right? I mean, naturally if you, if, if we as a company have, um, you know, insights into, you know, a business's, uh, uh, both inflows and outflows, let's call it naturally, you, you, you know, you can offer, you know, that business data and insights into similarly, okay, are they, are they doing well as a business or what can they do to do better? Or should they slow down some payments or should they be spending more or less or with the same vendors and suppliers or with different vendors and suppliers? And so naturally you, you can really start to um, I'll, I'll label it, you know, you can be, become more of the central nervous system for mm -hmm. the SMB's financial health. And so that's definitely one of the, um, uh, one of the, the, you know, elements of the vision that we're, we're sort of working towards. And then the other one I'd say briefly is taking that, taking that, that platform that we built and, you know, per the word I just used really leveraging it as a platform. So the other observation we've seen Zach is, you know, more, more than that, this is a more recent trend, I think, in the last two to three years, more so than five to 10, I think there's been a proliferation of, of, of just who labels themselves as a FinTech. It seems like everyone's a FinTech now. People are like, yeah. wait, you're not, you weren't in FinTech, but now you are. You and so um, that trend is very positive from our perspective because the more, there's more and more FinTechs and also everyone's also um, somewhat in parallel starting to issue their own you know, private label card or co-brand card. Um, and so because there's more fintechs and more cards and a lot of them are virtual, right? But nonetheless, more, more credit cards and accounts than ever before, we realize, oh, we have an opportunity in, in to leverage what we built and offer it um, to some of these other fintechs and platforms. And by offer, I simply mean rather than just mm, uh, always owning the customer directly, just, you know, thinking more from an API perspective, how mm -hmm. we can help power some of these, these other payment uh, pl uh, uh, platforms using the, the sort of bread and butter that we've built. So those are a couple of directions that are worth Interesting. You know, just mentioning. And any, you sort of said this in the beginning, I just come back to it, but is there, is there an interest or a thought about getting into credit itself, issuing more credit? Yeah. It's, you know, we, we go back and forth sometimes on this, but I think, so I think fundamentally the, you know, it's never off the table, but if you look at sort of 
the, well, especially with COVID has perhaps maybe, maybe made, made the opinion more clear for us, but I think yeah. our observation has for the most part always been one of two things. One is there's plenty of existing credit out there. There's several trillion that is, is already been underwritten. It's just kind of locked in, in the, in the form of, you know, credit cards that can't be used. And that's what we're unlocking. And so we feel that's, that's a lot to work with and therefore why, why issue or we'll call it use a stronger word burden SMBs with more credit when there's trillions mm -hmm. that's already issued. Like, let's just, let's just figure that out first. One, two, to the extent that, especially as we control both inflows, outflows, like we were talking about a second ago, that there's ways to offer, you know, additional credit where the SMB maybe really, really wants it or needs it. We believe that we would take more of a partner approach versus um, issuing it from our own balance sheet. So working with the partners, we already have strong relations with, which include a lot of the banks and the card network, et cetera, to find ways to, um, Offer credit that's that, that that they are really good at underwriting and and go, do a partner driven approach first versus try to have our own credit card or issue our own credit, which I think is not at this point something that we feel is um, uh, worth doing. Makes sense, and and you built this really interesting model that kind of sits on top of the existing system, which is which is yep. kind of cool. Um, we talked in the in the early part of this conversation about you know the early days of 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 new customer acquisition like what what channels do you use now um to bring in new customers which sounds like primarily you're targeting smbs now yeah it's a good question so so on that note of acquiring smbs turns out that one of the ways to acquire smbs is to acquire consumers who are smbs um mm. so um now not, not saying it's a one-to-one -one, but right. the point there is just to highlight that we still have a pretty strong consumer business and and one benefit of that apart from just it's fairly profitable is that some portion of consumers are SMBs or work at one or are married to one, et cetera, et cetera. So there's some nice little acquisition there. That's one. Two, mm -hmm. a lot of our approach um, outside of that in terms of directly acquiring SMBs, similar to what we talked about, about we're, on, we're, we're sort of this layer on top of the existing network is, you know, when, one nice thing about our model is that everyone kind of wins. And so as a result, um, a lot of our acquisition comes from um, the ecosystem because every transaction on a new, on, a, on a, every new transaction on a card is net new. So Visa or MasterCard or Amex, they're, they're all incented um, to make that happen. And so are the member banks, Chase, City, US Bank, you know, et cetera. And so as a result, a lot of our acquisition is coming um, from partners who are driving their customers um, to us because they want those customers to have a better payment experience. They want the revenue that frankly they get from, you know, you talked about interchange earlier. So every transaction we do, obviously there's interchange. And so it's net new revenue for, for all of their PLs, and so naturally there's a there's a partner incentive. So a lot of it comes uh, from that, some word of mouth, some typical stuff like that, organic. Um, and then the last piece is sort of what we talked about on the accept side, which is mm -hmm. um, the network effect where you pay a merchant and then we bring them into the network and they list us as a payment option. A, a healthy amount of acquisition, you know, it's early, it's an early product for us, but a healthy amount of acquisition we expect to come from that as well. That's awesome. And who who are the partners? Can you name some of them? Um, yeah, I mean, I can name some, uh, I mean, you know, Visa and Mascara are both very formal, strong partners of ours, um, um, specific to the banking side, Citibank, US Bank, um, uh, our, our Silicon Valley Bank, to name a slightly smaller but local example, those, all, mm -hmm. all three of those are, are you know, formal, um, well-established partners of ours. Got it. Um, last question, the remaining time that we have, Elliot, like, what are your biggest priorities now, you know, we're we're almost at the end of 2020, thank goodness. And we're thinking about 2021, like what, what, what's on your plate? Uh, well, one, just what you said, making it to the end of the year at this point. I mean, no, I mean, I'm kidding, but like, it's just been such a, you know, for everyone, such an unusual time. Mm -hmm. And so I mean that seriously, just from a, 
Um, you know, we, we think we've done really well as a company in terms of just all the things that everyone has to adapt to, but just, you know, going remote in, you know, we were already partly remote, but culturally just make sure as a company, we, we maintain the momentum because it's just been, it's been challenging as a, uh, uh, as an organization, no different than anyone, not saying it's unique to us, but to, to adapt in these times and just, you know, want to, you want to get through the year feeling like, okay, there's some sense of normality on the horizon. Um, and so making that, that momentum as a team is pretty, a pretty important part of the culture at any point, let alone in the backdrop of COVID. So that's, that's frankly people first, that's number one. Um, strategically um, for us towards the end of the year, I mean, the other thing that's on our mind is just, I kind of alluded to it, but really taking what we built um, internally and starting to develop um, um, our, our ability to expose that externally sort of mm -hmm. as a platform. That's, that's a big, that's a newer and big priority for us. And there's a lot that goes into that, <clears throat> pardon me, both internally from a product roadmap perspective, but also externally from a relationship perspective. So taking the three or four mm -hmm. partners, you know, that I mentioned to you a few minutes ago and saying, okay, what are the next, not just three or four, but how, what are the next 40 or 400 that really would, would want to use us as a platform. And, and, and that's sort of a big part of our strategy setting ourselves up well for that. Beautiful. We've definitely seen a lot of the challenger banks and some of the you know next generation fintech companies sort of launch initial consumer product and then sort of pivot into that platform idea. It's huge. So best of luck with that. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on the, on the Tear Street podcast. Ellie. No, thank you. Thrilled to have uh, chatted.